Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Last week, we talked about the personal nature of God, and by that, really how we personify, we make God real. And and I know that was a a little bit of, hmm, how do I want to say that? People were taking some deep breaths last week because it sounds, well, it sounds a lot like saying that I'm God. And, And of course, we weren't saying that I am God, but we were saying most powerfully that we are all part of God, that God's consciousness in in its small form, in its small consciousness, is our consciousness. And so when we're doing our thing out in the world, we are part of God doing its thing out in the world. And so that was how we personalize God, because we are God. So when you're out doing your activities out in the world, you are doing God's activities out in the world. And we talked just briefly about how sometimes that looks more God-like than other times, but, uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, since we define God as all there is, even the stuff out there that doesn't look so good that we've created is still part of the divine. Well, today I'm going to depersonalize God a little bit. Rather than talking about it from the perspective of each one of us as being God-centered, I want to talk about some of the universal principles that apply to everyone equally. And so, if you will, today we're going to talk about humanity in its total as that relates to God. And I managed to find a top ten list on what it means to actually be human. So, uh, let's check this out. First of all, humans create a society where you can get a pizza delivered to your house faster than an ambulance. (laughs) Humans order double cheeseburgers, large fries, and a Diet Coke. (laughs) Humans leave automobiles worth thousands of dollars in the driveway so that their garages can fill up with junk. Humans put hot dogs in packages of 10 and buns in packages of six or eight. Humans put the prescription counters at the back of the drugstore and the cigarettes right up front. Have you ever thought of that? It's like, why make the sick person go clear? Oh, well, anyway, all right. Humans make lemonade with artificial flavor, but they make dishwashing liquid with real lemon. Humans design bank vaults to be left open during the day, but their pens are always chained down. Humans press the elevator buttons as many times as possible, even though they know only one press is necessary. And finally, and perhaps the most significant, humans test our nuclear weapons to see the extent that they actually work. Now think about this for a minute. If we are creatures of the divine, why all this messiness? Why all this uh, unpleasantness? Why, why do we make such crazy choices? Why, why would we want to test the destructive power of a nuclear weapon just to prove to ourselves that we can blow the planet apart? Is there some kind of force of evil at work here? Is there, is there something ungodlike at work in us in our humanness. Well, first of all, 
I want to put that a little bit to rest, and we're going to talk about the idea of evil in general in, in a couple minutes, but, but what makes us able to do such screwy things? That's where I'd like to start. Any ideas? What makes us able to do so many screwy things? Freedom of choice. Yeah, freedom of choice. Let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, okay, that's certainly maybe why we might choose that, but, but the ultimate idea that we do get to choose, I think, is behind it all. Yeah, freedom of choice. So even as God, in its big scope, got to choose to do the Big Bang and create this whole schmear, so us, in our lesser form of creativity, it's still the same force at work. It's still that divine creativity, and so we get to choose. And sometimes we choose well, Sometimes not well at all. Sometimes downright dangerously we make our choices. But does that make us any less godlike in our power to choose? I don't think so. I think Ernest Holmes' effect makes it pretty clear in, in the book that we're studying this month, Your Invisible Power. He makes it pretty clear that the the kind of choices we make, that's that, that personal nature of God, that's you embodying your own choices, your own ways of being, but the ultimate power itself isn't divided up so easily and this is good and that is bad, this is evil and this is a blessing. I mean, through, through time, through our experience, all kinds of things one person might think is a, a burden and someone else might think it's a joy, right? It is our human nature, perhaps, that decides what is good or not so good. So given this, how might we begin choosing more wisely? Given this, if we do have that same creative power of God, the creative power that can create a hurricane or make a nice dinner for us, <laughs> how might we begin starting that process more easily around making affirmative choices. Well, first of all, I think we have to know that we are standing in our power, that that creative force is working day and night, 24 hours a day. It's not something that we just turn on when we want to. We don't just turn it on when we're praying, right? We have that creative power of the universe working for us, working through our thoughts, working through our creative urges, working through our choices day and night, 24 hours a day. Even in our dreaming, we are setting for, and well, on that one, you know, don't check in with me about my dreams last <laughs> night, but I think it was the heat, honestly. But, uh, but truly, even our dreams can set forward intentions for us to, to later on come into fruition. So every part of our consciousness is creative. And if you ever want to, to really see what you've been thinking about, if you want to see what you've been thinking about for the last few years, look at your life. You don't need to look any further than your relationships and your job. You don't need to look any further than your, um, I don't know, the encounters you have with your children and your bosses. You don't need to look any further than your physical environment at home or at work. That 
is what you've been thinking about for the last few years. Now, some of you are going, yeah, isn't it grand? <laughs> and some of you are going, oh, holy shit. <laughs> and that's the good news and the bad news part of it is that because we have that power to create our lives one thought at a time, one action at a time, one impetus at a time, because that is within our power, we can make a different choice starting today we can make a different set of choices. Uh, we can call into play a different set of beliefs. We have the power to turn on a dime if we want to through our own thinking. Now I will say, sometimes we get in a rut. And some of those things about humans that I talked about a minute ago, I think that's where humanity has got into a little bit of a rut. Do you see what I mean? We observe that someone comes up to an elevator and all kinds of people press the button 85 million times out of, out of hesitancy, right? And so we're used to seeing that and little kids see it and they imitate it and pretty soon it's a thing. In fact, I almost defy you to not be in a big corporation where there's lots of elevators to not see a bunch of people pressing the button 85 million times even though it doesn't do anything beyond that initial light lighting up it's just a it's just a thing that gets stuck in our consciousness now that one perhaps no big deal who cares the button doesn't care right but i would also suggest stuck in our human nature is this little thing called competition that maybe hasn't been so helpful over the years, right? That's why we're interested in trying out our nuclear warheads and, and blowing up uh, you know, places in the Pacific Ocean and small islands to see how much devastation we can actually do. It's because we have this belief that the world is unsafe with limited resources and we might need to just clobber the heck out of other people in order to get what we want. Well, that too, like pressing the elevator button, is a human thing that we're stuck in, but that one's a little more serious, isn't it? That one, our belief in the necessity of competition and strength prevailing, has gotten our little planet into some deep trouble. So how do we begin shifting these thoughts? Well, first of all, it starts with us as individuals. I can tell you, putting a sign out in front of that bank of elevators, only press the button once, like how effective would that be, right? Right? Not really very effective. I mean, we already have all kinds of peace movements on the planet. You would think that would keep North Korea from testing yet another bomb in, in, the, in the ocean, right? You would think we know, the, we know atomic bombs are destructive. Do we need to test another one, right? So just saying this is wrong or this is right or here's what we should do or here's what we shouldn't do, when we do it at that high level, probably not much of an impact. But what if we're doing it as individuals? What if we make a pact with ourselves, even right in this own room, to not press the button more than once. And what if we internalize that to where, what, you know, why would I do that? It's just silly. I could be doing something else in instead. Why don't we begin shifting some of the things in our own lives that are either silly or useless or perhaps 
darn right harmful. I mean, I would guess there are things going on in your own lives right now that are a little bit like the nuclear warheads. It might be, um, might be boss, you know, relationships that have gone bad. It might be family situations that are awkward. It could be a, a health situation that you or a loved one is facing. There's a lot of stuff stuck in our own thoughts, our own ways of being that are less than useful. And if we start as individuals to clean up our thinking, it is so very powerfully attractive. Have you ever noticed just the light bulb pop on on someone's mind when they see someone figure out a better way of doing something? That's what I'm talking about only in a spiritual sense. When people notice that you lead what they might on the surface think of as a charmed life. When they see that you're weathering difficult times with great aplomb and having a great time in your own lives, I gotta tell you, you are marvelously attractive. People want that. People wanna get that. People wanna understand how that happens. The reason for it is you are evolving. And we all have that impetus. We all have that desire to become the, the best Larry, the best Sylvia, the best everyone that we can be. That impetus for improvement and love and greater joy and greater wonder on the planet. We all have that. It's built in. Uh, I mean, oftentimes, in fact, in the very youngest of our species, we see it in full force, right? Kids just go for the goal. They just go with the gusto. And then I think it's only as we become teenagers and adults that we start thinking, oh, gosh, life is so heavy. In fact, there, isn't there that funny old Paul Simon song, uh, why is my life so hard when my stomach is so soft? <laughs> right? It's like we start, it's like we start, well, the musicians over here are going, I know that song, and that's not how those lyrics go, but, uh, <laughs> and that's okay. I'm sure you'll clue me in later. But, uh, but what I do know, it's how we approach life. It's not waiting for life to approach us. It's not wishing and hoping that things will get better in the midst of my misery. It's doing something about that misery. It's saying, I am not miserable anymore. I, in fact, am living a charmed and joyous life. So I wanted to think of, of some example where changing my thinking really made a difference in the world. And you know, gosh, I've been doing kind of demonstrations for my own life on and off for years. And I could tell you this story where it really it was like a faith healing of a, a, of a relative based on prayer. I could tell you about rescuing the little dog that would have frozen to death. I mean, and some of you have heard these stories, but I sort of wanted to do one of those quiet little miracles of life. Because I think that is where it begins. It isn't in the big stuff. It's not the laying on of hands and having Lazarus rise from the death. I mean, I mean that's a good demonstration. Don't get me wrong. But I think it starts down in the trenches. And so I want to give you an example of where changing your mind, making all the difference in the world, is right down in everyday living. So we have a new car a new electric car, a LEAF. 
And uh, we had rented one for a few years to see if we liked electric cars, and it turns out we did. And I got to tell you, it's kind of fun having an electric car because you're usually recharging out at restaurants and shopping centers, and right, it's not a gas station. And so you're out in the public waiting for your car to charge, and I got to tell you, people line up. So does that thing really have any gumption to it? Well, how far does that car go on one charge? How long will it take you to charge up that car? On and on the questions go. And, uh, and I got to tell you, one of the questions that we proved to ourselves pretty well not long ago is what happens when you run out of electricity? <laughs> And so I would like to share that story with you today. We were, coming, <laughs> we were coming back from the beach and we normally recharge in Banks, Oregon. And for those of you, it's just off Sunset Highway on the way down to the beach. And it's one of the, well, it's the only charging station midway between Portland and the coast. And so on the way back, we always stop there and we got a late start that day. And then Daniel wanted to have dinner on the way. And so gosh, it's like 10 o'clock at night and we pull up and the charging station was out of service. And I looked down at the little battery gauge and it says, you have 17 miles left. <laughs> Holy heck, 17 miles. So I get out my little app, my phone has an app to tell you where other charging stations are, and then with a big sigh of relief, okay, the Fred Meyer, on, uh, uh, on Highway 26 at uh, um, uh, where the McMinimans is there uh, on Embry Road, it has a charging station. No problem, 18 miles. <laughs> and so Daniel says, what about turtle mode? What about turtle mode? Because something we've also never experienced is supposedly when the car runs out of juice, it goes into turtle mode. And now, we don't know what turtle mode is, but Daniel says, I'm sure that'll let us go just slower for a while. <laughs> and so we get back on Highway 26, and we're going down the road, and sure enough, literally, I can see the charging station. I can see the Cornelius Pass exit. And the car goes into turtle mode. And I want to tell you, they're not kidding. <laughs> It goes just like a turtle. You have just enough energy to pull out of traffic and go to the side of the road, which we did. We called AAA, and because it's after 11 o'clock at night by then, there's only one responder on duty, and it's going to be about two and a half hours. So there we are with a totally dead car, sitting by the side of the road on the Sunset Highway, waiting. Now, can you guess what was going through Daniel's mind, my partner, and my mind? Well, I'll tell you what's going through my mind. I'm thinking if you wouldn't have stopped for dinner, if you wouldn't have made us stop for dinner, we would have been here sooner, and there would have been like three response vehicles, and we would have had 20-minute service. And if you wouldn't have insisted that we run the heater because using the heater uses more energy, we would have had two or three more miles in this sucker and we'd be at that recharging station. <laughs> now, do you want to know what was going through Daniel's mind? <laughs> what was going through Daniel's mind was this electric car is the stupidest idea you ever got us into. 
what kind of car strands us out on the freeway? And he was also thinking, and so why is it that I'm always the one stuck driving having to make these decisions anyway? Why, doesn't, why don't you take responsibility for some of these things? That's what we're thinking. Something else, though, occurred to me, and I looked in the back seat to see our other passengers. So our other passengers are Sarah and Ivy, and they're peacefully asleep on the back seat. And I wondered idly, well, what are they thinking? Now, of course, I know I'm anthropomorphizing. Who knows? Dogs probably don't even think. But, but what I imagined that they were thinking was, I'm safe, I'm happy, and I'm with the two people that mean the most to me on the planet. And I said to myself, we could really have a bitch fight here. Or we could realize that we're safe and we're happy and we're with the people who mean the most to us on the planet. And so Daniel and I looked at each other and we decided it would be date night. And we talked about things that we haven't talked about in years. We, we talked about some plans for renovating the house. We spent our time really loving on each other. We changed our minds. And I want to tell you, that is how everyday miracles happen. If you don't believe this philosophy works, it doesn't take some dramatic demonstration of a, of a faith healing or, a, or, or something like that. You just have to realize you have the power to change your entire life in a moment by changing your attitude, by changing how you approach life, by changing what is in your heart in that moment. And you have that power. Now, uh, I told this story, I don't know, to, to friends, and one of them said, well, Larry, you were really just demonstrating good communication skills and good, good coupleness. And, and I took that as a compliment, and yeah, you, you know, that is true. I, I take that as a compliment. But you know what? I'm not thinking so much. I'm thinking what that showed me really was that I have spiritual confidence. Because in my universe, people don't die by the side of the road, right? In my universe, there is safety. There are, are friendly people that come on towing vans and, and give us the ride the other 300 yards to the charging station, right? I swear if we would have had the long enough extension cord, we would have been fine, right? But, <laughs> but in, in my universe, couples find ways of loving on each other even when things are not going well. It's, it's spiritual confidence. It's knowing that the universe is here to support me in my daily affairs, in my relationships, in my working life, that I am blessed. That is what I know to be true for me. And that is what I would recommend for you all. Now, how do we get there? People don't just... Uh, you know, snap their fingers, I guess, and get out of some of these mental ruts. It's difficult. I've been in Science of Mind now about 15 years, been a minister about, uh, about nine years now, and this has not been an easy path, right? Daniel and I used to fight like normal human beings, and, uh, <laughs> and when I look over this top 10 list, I'm guilty of a fair number of those things, 
But what I will tell you is we actively work on improving our spiritual relationship to the universe. We actively do prayer work together. We actively talk about issues that come up. We are willing to always change our mind about each other and what's going on in the world. And that has made all the difference. And that is how you start. If you want to change your own life, it is in the small pieces of life coming your way. You set your sights on making them loving. You set your intentions to have them fruitful. You set your belief system around knowing that the universe is here to support you, not to hurt you, not to harm you. And when you make those changes to your thinking, the universe responds. Even when the outside doesn't change, right? I mean, we were still sitting in a car by the side of the road in the middle of the night with no electricity, right? It didn't change what was going on on the outside. But oh my gosh, what it did change. That's how we begin. You want to make a better world, a world that really does work for everyone. It starts in our own heart. It starts with our own choices. It starts with our own actions. And it starts in knowing that God responds. It starts knowing that when you change the way you approach life, it changes. All right, quick summary, and then we'll do a little reading from this book. Uh, summary, God permits all human experience. Because God is all there is, that means you that means you can make extraordinarily good choices and you can make extraordinarily bad choices. You have free will. It's not good, it's not evil, it just is. Two, everyone has creative power and you can't turn it off and turn it on. Your thoughts will outpicture in the world. If you are thinking just a just a storm in your mind around poverty and trouble, you're going to get to experience poverty and trouble. All the, all the mystics of all times has, has said that that's the way it works, and it is the way it works. So if you want to experience joy, you have to approach the universe as though it were joyous, even on days when it doesn't look so much, even on days when you are parked by the side of the road in the dark, not sure of when AAA is going to come. You have to act like you are having the time of your life if you want to have the time of your life. It's your choice. I'm going to close with a, a lovely quote from this book. Chapter 2 uh, is fun because it's written from the perspective as though God or, or the divine intelligence of the universe was doing the writing. So, so this is uh, God talking to Ernest Holmes and us. He says, I am in the midst of you to heal, to comfort, and to prosper. I have come to arouse you from your long dreams of separation, from any night of despair. The dawn has finally come. The sun of truth rises over any horizon of, of ignorance, and the light dissipates any personal darkness. I am that sun, that sun of truth dwelling within the sanctuary, the sanctuary of your own hearts. I am that morning star guiding you, the creator of your own destiny and the arbiter of your own faith. Therefore, awake, become aware of God's presence within, for I am life. I'm not something apart from your being. I am your being. 
I'm closer than breathing, nearer than hands and feet. I am, and you are. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence, one, one goodness of life, only good, only God. Of course, it goes by many names, all of the divine feminine, the universe, regardless of the name that it goes by, simply know that it is all there is, and that means me. I'm not exempt from it. God is right in the middle of me, and I'm right in the middle of God. Only that power and presence of the divine working through me and as me, and as it is true about me, it is true for everyone in this room, everyone on the planet, each of us a, a divine center of God-like activity, doing our best to make good choices. And so for today, I claim that maybe we have an awareness of making better choices that start from the inside out, that as we can choose better to have our, our thinking aligned with what we desire, whether it be love or joy, whether it be peace or, or, or uh, the, the goodness of abundance, whatever it is that we might desire, as we align our thoughts more properly with it, that is what we will get out of life. That will be our perception of life that will be our reality. And I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful in knowing actually that it works dispassionately, that each of us has that same ability to live the good life. And so in gratitude, I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law itself. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you were here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.